So as we continue um, in our series, a line-by-line look, if you will, on one of maybe the greatest blessings, the greatest gifts God has given to his church, but also simultaneously maybe one of the most abused and misused gifts of God's uh, gifts that he's given to the church, the Lord's Prayer. Whether you're starting out with us just for today or whether you've been with us for this whole time, my guess is when you look at the Lord's Prayer and then you take a look at your prayer life, one of the things you notice is they don't exactly line up all the time, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. They probably don't look exactly alike, and that's, that's okay. But one of the things that often comes up, it came up in our groups, um, and it comes up whenever I uh, get a chance to really one-on-one teach the Lord's Prayer to some people, is that uh, when it comes to the requests— we call those things the petitions, the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven petitions in the Lord's Prayer. If you were to categorize those two based on physical and spiritual, you would notice that there is one physical, give us today our daily bread, and six, spiritual. And oftentimes when we get to see that, most every, if not every single Christian I've talked to about this says, yeah, that's almost like the exact opposite of the way I pray. Because, you know, typically we get caught up in the help me, bless me, protect me, give me, or help them, bless them, protect them, give them prayers. Nothing wrong with that. Make sure I do say that very loud and clear. Nothing wrong with asking God to bless someone's circumstances, give them safe travels home, right? Heal their bodies, things like that, you know. But I think you're starting to see that what God is trying to teach us in the Lord's Prayer is to maybe focus a little more on the spiritual truths, and the spiritual realities, and maybe less on the physical side of things, because maybe the physical side of things is actually there because it's symptomatic of an underlying spiritual truth. And and maybe the more we align ourselves with the spiritual realities and pray the way God wants us to pray, maybe those other physical things get solved. Today, the petition we get to cover is no exception, and I believe is maybe a petition that you might argue is the most overlooked or taken for granted petition in the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation. And yet, when we dig into this petition, I think you'll agree that it's best to not robotically recite this petition, but instead see that yeah, I want to definitely take this to heart and pray this with passion because this petition is all about keeping the worst things from happening to you, and it all revolves around that one word, temptation. Now, when we talk about temptation, when you hear that word, I'm curious what comes to mind when you think of temptation. I think we've slightly been conditioned to think of temptation like this, uh, this waitress coming to you after you're done stuffing your face with a meal at a restaurant saying, can I tempt you with a dessert? Or you're at the office and the, the coworker brings out the donuts and, ooh, those look so tempting, right? Or, or, or maybe you're shopping on Amazon. Or you go to the mail and there's this ad that comes in 75% off or it's Prime Day and you're like, wow, these deals, they look so tempting, right? That's, that's kind of how we typically think of, but what Jesus wants to do, not break your mood today, but he wants you to ramp up your attention and he wants you to, to lock in your focus because he's more concerned with just deals and diets, but rather the danger that the devil wants to put in front of you. Because if you could see all of the arrows and all of the traps that the devil and his minions have for you in the spiritual realm, if you will, 
you might not want to leave your house ever again. <laughs> like you might just say, I'm good with just staying at home and living under a rock for the rest of my life because it's absolutely terrifying. But as we dive in to this prayer, what will get you to passionately pray this prayer and this petition more than you ever have is learning a couple things about temptation. And so if you like taking notes, that's great. If not, that's okay. You can follow along. But our first note is a, certainly a big one when it comes to temptation. I kind of hinted at it a little bit already. Let me turn this on. There we go. Temptation is stronger than you are. And we have to start out with that because that is not that is not the normal thing that we like to hear that, that kind of flies in the face of, again, how we've been conditioned. But it absolutely is true. Jesus himself, talking to his disciples, he once said this. He said, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So it's like Jesus talking to his disciples and talking to us by extension says, I know that you want to follow God. I know that you want to, to listen, to be obedient, and to, to follow your leader, your Lord. There's that new man inside you that's been converted, that's regenerate, that wants to go along, but then there's that old sinful nature, isn't it? And, and it's just this tug-of-war match, and it wants to follow, but, but it just keeps pulling you away. That The flesh is so weak, and our pride finds that so offensive. Because what we usually do is we usually overestimate our own abilities and we underestimate temptation, don't we? Like we, we know something's going to be there or mom and dad to the kids as they're, as they're going out and they're leaving and they know the things that might happen and what do the kids usually respond? I'll be fine. I'm okay. I've done it before. I'll take care of it again, right? And we never really grow out of that. I'll, I've got it. I'll be fine. I'm I'm a lot stronger than you think I am, right? We could just list off all these phrases that we get to say to overestimate our abilities, to underestimate temptation. And yet, what did you also hear from the first reading, our first lesson today from Paul? If you think you're standing firm, what? Yeah, be, be careful you don't fall. Because there's been so many people throughout history that they thought they were good, they thought they were fine, they thought they were in God's graces, they thought they had everything under control, and how massive that fall has been, right? It's like Jesus, it's like Paul, it's like the New Testament writers know that you have a pride, you have an ego, and you have a weakness. And your pride is one of your greatest weaknesses because your pride does not want you to see your weakness. Your pride wants to say, no, I'm fine, I'm strong enough, and that's exactly what Satan wants to do to you. He wants to get you in that point where you're so blinded by your weaknesses so he can exploit it, right? That's exactly how an enemy attacks a stronger opponent, right? They don't go at the strengths. They don't go where, where the things are reinforced. No, they go at the weaknesses. They exploit it. They find it, and that's their way in, and that's exactly how Satan tempts you. And so I do want to ask you then this morning, as you're thinking about this idea of weaknesses, just pause for a moment. Where are your weaknesses? I don't know if you've ever thought that. I don't know if you've ever contemplated that. But, but think for a moment, where are you weak? Where that if, if this temptation was in front of you, you would see Jesus' words come to life. Yeah, my flesh is so weak that I cannot face this temptation on my own. What would it be for you? I mean, it could be anything. Are you a people pleaser like I am? Where something as innocent as, and encouraging, by the way, as compliments can be this temptation in front of you 
So instead of springboard up to God's glory and say, thank you, God, for the gifts and the abilities that you've given me so that I can use them for your people, instead, it's a temptation to inflate and puff up and jack up that ego to say, yeah, I, that feels pretty good, and, and I'll do things not for God, but for me more, and you live off of that, and you die off of that. That when the compliments don't come in, and when the attaboys and good jobs don't come in, where's the temptation? To feel you're worthless, to feel you're valueless, because instead of going to God for your identity and filling you up, no, you're going and looking through the eyes of everybody else to see how you're doing and how you're performing. It can be anything. Maybe your weakness is the, the financial hit that you did not see coming. There's that random kid who broke his arm and I gotta go to the ER, or there's the rising tuition or the repair bill at home that nobody wanted to have to shell out for. And instead of using that as a moment to pause and reflect on God's word and say, wait a second, give us today our daily bread. Yeah, last time I checked, that's what God promises to do, and that's what God has done before, and he's gotten us through stuff like this, and maybe this just means pushing pause on some other plans. Maybe it means that we won't have quite the vacation that we wanted, but that's okay. God is still going to take care of us, and, and a way to glorify God in that. But instead, maybe that financial hit, instead of causing you to move forward in faith, is a temptation to cause you to move forward in fear. And there's doubt, and there's worry, and there's the what abouts and the what ifs, and, and I got to pull back on all sorts of generosity because I got to take care of things, and so much for God taking care of you, right? Uh, maybe your weakness is gossip. Don't get me started on that. That you're there with your friends, and you've got all the people around, and they're talking about the one person who seems to not be around, and you just can't help yourself. You lean in. Ooh, your curiosity is peaked. Tell me more. Say more. What's going on? And not only do you hear all these other people talking about this person or this family or this situation, that they don't know all the details and facts, and even if they did, they're not exactly building this person up, you join right in. But it doesn't stop there. Because you leave, and you go to your friends, and you spread it. I don't know what your weakness is. I don't. I don't know what the temptation that Satan could put in front of you to say, here we go, good luck fighting this one on your own, but I know he knows it, and I know you have one. Temptation is stronger than you. Do not make the mistake thinking that you are stronger than it by yourself because it doesn't get much better. Not only is temptation stronger than you, but aren't you glad to church today? Aren't you glad you came? Because we're just talking about so many good things. All temptation can kill you. And here's what I mean by that. James, Jesus' brother, he says this in the New Testament. He says, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Now, at first, we might look at that and say, okay, like, yeah, I get it. You know, we, we've sinned. And the ultimate result of sin is death, and that's what we're going to get no matter what. Yep, I, I do understand that. But come on, like, all temptation can kill you. Like, that kind of sounds like uh, someone just trying to use a scare tactic to, you know, really get me to, to think about it. Well, I do want you to think about it. And I do want you to take it seriously. So does James. So does God. And I want you to think about it in terms of maybe this cautionary tale. Imagine a teenager 
maybe like some of you right now who are in this building, and you are in a Christian home, a Christian family who takes you to a place like this almost every single Sunday, and then faced with the prospect of graduating from high school and the freedom that college brings or the freedom from the other path that you want to take, whatever it is, here come all of these temptations with it. And a temptation from the world, a temptation from friends and other friend groups, and a temptation from your own weak flesh and the laziness whispers the same thing into your ear. Hey, it's okay to take a week off. No one is going to force you to go. Mom and dad are not going to wake you up and yell at you if you're not getting fast enough, move fast enough, and drag you into the car to take you to church. Take some time off. It's okay. And you slack off and you sleep in. No big deal. And one week becomes two weeks. And two weeks becomes a month. And one month becomes a habit. And the habit becomes... Well, only going back when you see mom and dad and you're with family, which, let's face it, typically happens Christmas and Easter, maybe sometimes during the summer, turns into a couple years of that, turns into walking away from church, and I'm not just talking about the membership. I'm talking about the relationship with other people, with God. Turns into mom and dad beside themselves crying and asking, what did we do wrong? Could we have done something different, playing Monday morning quarterback for all those years? Turns into, how do we talk to our son, our daughter, about this decision? And we want to, but we don't even know how to begin to have a conversation about this because it's so weird, but we love them so much, but it hurts so much. Turns into that kid who's now a grown-up, who now has kids, And now those kids may never know Christ. And maybe they do know Jesus, or maybe they know about Christianity, but yeah, it's just, I guess, maybe one of those other religions out there that just tells you to be a good person, right, and do better in your life. That's that's kind of the idea, right? But either way, it doesn't really mean that much because mom and dad don't think it's all that important. So why should I think it's all that important? You know, if mom and dad don't really care about it enough, well, why in the world would I? And do you see how many things died and were killed as a result of that one seemingly innocent temptation? It kills. It's the pornography that looks so innocent. Nobody's getting hurt. Not only is that not true, but it eviscerates intimacy. It's the gossip that destroys relationships and friendships. It is the lies that completely flips over and upside down trust. It kills. The Apostle Peter, he says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, if that's the case, and we know temptation is stronger and it's like a lion and it can kill you, then would you go to the the zoo And would you dive into the lion exhibit with a bowl of kitty food and just say, here, kitty, 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 come here? (laughs) Like, of course not. Pastor, why would you use such a ridiculous analogy? Well, you'll, you'll see where I'm going with it. Of course we would stay away. Of course we'd stay on the other side of the glass. Of course we'd stay on the other side and just look at them from afar because we know we wouldn't stand a chance against those things, right? Absolutely. So why doesn't that happen with temptation? 
Why do we fall into it so many times? Well, here's the reason, our next point about temptation. Most temptation is unseen by you. Like, it would be great if temptation was lit up with just this giant neon sign with those, like, old-school arrows pointing to it. You know, you can probably see something in the cartoon, like, temptation. You know, you just say, okay, avoid it. Stay away. Don't need to go there, right? That would be great. But it doesn't work that way. It's a roaring lion, sure, but it's in the bushes. And you can't see it, often until it's too late, often until it's right in front of you. Like, think about what you watch on TV or, or the things that uh, want to come across on your phone, the videos that you want to click on or something. Like, which one's going to cause more temptation for you? This channel over here or this channel over here, this video over here, what, what ads are going to come up that are going to cause you more temptation so you avoid them? These ones or those ones? And You don't know. You don't know if it's going to be this channel. You don't know if it's going to be this video. You don't know if it's going to be this new movie or this new show with the plot twist. And you, you really don't know. What friend group is going to give you more temptation? Is it this friend group over here? Is it that friend group over there? Is it that new friend group over there? And maybe, okay, uh, you can use some common sense and say, okay, maybe that. But, but still, you, you don't know about those other groups. You don't know. And where's the boss? who is going to tempt you with more money and more success and more advancement by causing you to work more and more and more and more and more and have less and less time for God and your faith and your spouse and your kids. Where's that boss going to be? Is he going to be at that job? Is she going to be over there at that job? Is it this place on ZipRecruiter? Is it this opening? You don't know. And whose posts on social media is going to cause you more anger, more envy, more frustration, more depression, more... Is it this one? Is it this one? You don't know. Like, you can't see it. You can't anticipate where it's going to come. You have no idea where it's going to come. So when we pray this petition, we say, God, I haven't got a clue where this is going to come. You know where it is, but I don't know where it is. I can't see it. And you add all of this together, how strong it is, what it wants to do to you, how much of it is, how prevalent it is. It's no wonder that we pray this petition. It's no wonder that Jesus said, I want to safeguard your spiritual well-being by putting this petition in there for you to help you, to save you, to rescue you, to keep this from you. And what we do, we add it all together. Here's what we're essentially praying for in this petition. You're praying for a divine detour in this petition. Now, it's really interesting because I don't know of too many people who like detours. You? Like, we got a couple of detours in Crete right now, don't we? And I'll bet you have an opinion about that. <laughs> we have a, a Highway 1 detour over there, and you say, okay, getting north to south and south to north, that's a little tricky. Okay, well, I'll go this way. Well, then, actually, there's, there's another north-south road over here on the other side of town, Crete Road, that's, that's detoured as well. So it kind of makes it get creative. And I've yet to find the person who sees that orange detour sign and says, yes, this is awesome. Adventure time. All right. I love getting from point A to point B in a less inefficient and more costly way. I love that. This is exactly what I planned for in my morning commute, right? I yet to see that. And yet that is a one-sided, selfish perspective way of looking at a detour. Can I offer you another one? What if the people who plan the detours actually know that it's for your good? 
Like, what if they say, well, we'd rather give you a detour to add five, ten minutes to your commute rather than you just, you know, drive your car off of the bridge because it's out, right? What if, what if we would rather inconvenience you now and fix the road that needs to be repaired rather than just letting you get your way and letting the road continue to get in all disarray and then we really have a problem on our hands? I think you get the idea. And where I'm going with this is I think... I wonder if this isn't how God operates with us too. What if the thing that annoys you to no end is actually God answering this petition? What if your friend never texts back or calls back because God knew that if your life would go the way you normally wanted it to or according to your regularly scheduled programming and, and agenda, that that would actually be the worst thing for you, that it would place all these kinds of temptations in front of you, so he puts a detour sign in there. Like what if you, you wanted to get the babysitter and they canceled and instead of going out, you got to stay in? And your phone glitches out just as you were about to check the social media. And just as you were about to sit down and watch that show, the power goes out and it's out for a couple hours. And, and just as you're about to go do this thing, the traffic is jammed up and you won't be able to get there on time. And, and, and all these other things. What if that is all God answering this petition? I propose to you that's an interesting question because... I don't know that we'll ever be able to know the answer. Like, I don't know that we'll ever be able to look back and see all the woulda, coulda, shouldas, and if I was in that decision, or if I, if I was in this mode, then that would have made me make these choices, these words would have come out of my mouth. We don't know, but God does. And maybe what he does is he uses this as a way to answer this prayer. Maybe, maybe there's a million reasons why the power went out why the Wi-Fi needed to be reset, why the car wouldn't start, why the traffic did get backed up, why the boss told you not to come in that day, why all of these things that we could imagine. There's likely various different reasons for it. Maybe, maybe it's a way for God to answer this petition for you. But all that being said, Pastor, what about the temptation that I do have right in front of me. Because last time I checked, I, I don't think I missed a detour sign. I'm pretty sure it was just right there, and I'm facing it. Or what about the temptation that I not only faced, but I succumbed to? I fell in. What do I do about that? And the temptation that I keep falling into it's there every day, and I just am not. What, what do I do? For the time we have left, what I want to do is to turn your focus to the one person that God definitely did not detour around temptation. I just want to put one passage back up on the screen from our gospel reading. Then Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 
led by the Spirit to be tempted, the exact opposite of what we pray for in this petition. That the Father would send the Spirit to lead his Son to go right into the lion's den and to go toe-to-toe with the lion himself, Satan. At his weakest, go ahead and look up, you don't have to, what 40 days of fasting without food does to you. It, that does a lot. The mental fog, the physical fatigue, the emotional state, I, I can't imagine, at his weakest to take on Satan at his best so he could win, so he could overcome. And so that he could take that perfect record, if you will, and gift it over to you. So that at those moments, when you have fallen and you've fallen hard, for all those temptations that you and I will fail and will succumb to, that you would know you have a Savior who never succumbed to a single one So that even though the temptation you and I fall into, it hurts things here, it wouldn't kill your relationship there. He went into that temptation, came out victorious on the other side, simply put, to forgive you. So that when you are being tempted, as Paul told us, God's going to provide a way out, and that way out is your Savior, Jesus. You're not strong enough. He is. You're not able to hold up under the weight of it. But he is, and he gives you promise after promise after promise to think through and evaluate and the forgiveness to find yourself comforted by. All that jam-packed into a few words, lead us not into temptation. Think about that the next time you pray this petition. The victory that you have in one who is tempted in every way, just as you are. He gets it. He knows it. And yet he didn't sin. And he didn't do that just for his sake, but for yours. Praise God for that. Praise God for that victory. That is your victory because he was victorious. And praise God for all all the battles that you will never have to even fight. Because God hears you when you pray. Lead us not into temptation. Who knew a detour could be so good, right? Amen. Please stand. So as we've been doing in this series, uh, instead of our creed that serves as a normal confession of faith, what we're going to be doing is reviewing Luther's uh, catechism, Luther's small catechism and his explanation uh, of the sixth petition. I invite you to read these words together with me. Lead us not into temptation. What does this mean? God surely tempts no one to sin, but we pray in this petition that God would guard and keep us so that the devil, the world, and our flesh may not deceive us or lead us into false belief, despair, and other great and shameful sins. And though we are tempted by them, 
We pray that we may overcome and win the victory.